reading from Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a garden redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a gardener redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth asked her mother-in-law, when Naomi, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Thank you, Caroline. What a story. There's a plan. Risky. Indeed, we might not just say risky, but risque. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) Would I send any of my daughters out on such a plan? Not likely. (laughs) And yet, Naomi sends Ruth and Boaz 
the consummate gentleman, no, that's not the right word. That's next week. The constant gentleman treats Ruth well. And the chapter ends with Naomi's excited words, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. This man will not rest until the matter's settled today. And we're left hanging, wanting to find out what happens. Now, we'll have to wait till next Sunday. You might be tempted to read ahead. Just resist the temptation, just for now. Because in front of us is Ruth chapter three. This is God's word to us today. And this chapter is all about rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak to us. Speak into our lives. Help us to apply this wonderful story through the help of your Holy Spirit to us that we would come to you and find rest. Amen. Rest is a theme that's close to everyone's heart. We look forward to rest. We think about it. We plan for it as we make our holiday plans. Every day, at the end of the day, we lay down our head to get some rest. Some of us even seem to have lived such deep lives of turmoil that the hope of finding permanent permanent eternal rest for us is a deep and deep yearning. Rest is something essential to us as created beings. It's woven into the rhythm of our lives. We need it to survive and we live for it. And rest is mentioned in this chapter, in the opening verse, when Naomi says to Ruth, I must find a home for you. The Hebrew word is rest. I must find a rest for you. And then in the final verse, at the end of the chapter, when Naomi tells Ruth, Boaz won't rest until the matter between Ruth and Boaz is settled that day. The theme of rest, if you like, at beginning and end, brackets this chapter and gives us a clue as to what this chapter is all about. Rest here in chapter three is not so much the experience of rest, that's next week, but in this week at least, Ruth and Naomi find the promise of rest. And for some of us, that's enough. I used to love watching the television show Get Away, because even though I never ever went on any of the holidays on Get Away, just thinking about them and going there in my mind for 20 minutes was somehow energizing. <laughs> it was itself restful. Narelle and I didn't have a chance to get away for a holiday over the Christmas break. But in March, we're heading here, Second Valley, staying in that cottage, right? And in April, we're, going, uh, we're having a break with our family on the Sunshine Coast. Just having the promise of rest is energizing and enough to keep us going in the present. Plus, of course, all your wonderful personalities and the joy of being with you, of course, absolutely, without question. This chapter is about Ruth and Naomi finding the promise of rest. The rest Naomi is looking for for Ruth and by extension for herself is a home and a husband and the security that comes with that of not being adrift unanchored. But that's only a small part, of course, of the rest which God has envisaged for us in the Bible. Rest isn't a minor theme in the Bible, it is big. In fact, it's so big that rest, properly understood, is the goal of creation. When God created the world in Genesis 1, days 1 to 6, 
We read at the start of Genesis 2 that God rested on the seventh day and we immediately think, well, he must have been pretty tired after making the world in six days. It's a lot of activity. He must have needed a sleep, needed to put his feet up. God doesn't get tired like that. Rest in Genesis 2 is the goal of what he's been working towards. It means to have the right environment to be able to enjoy his creation in fellowship with all that he has made. That is the rest the ultimate rest that God has in view. It was lost from our experience when the man and the woman were banished from the garden. But it remains, if you like, the tracking theme, the goal of where we're headed to and we'll get to at the end of the Bible. It's where God's taking us. It's why he sent Jesus. It's why the Israelites were commanded to take a Sabbath rest one day in seven, to remember that rest is the purpose of creation and the goal of their redemption. Rest, in other words, is a big theme. It's not minor, it's not incidental to us as people. And this story in Ruth chapter three is a miniature, if you like, of that larger story played out in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. The story of them finding, at least here, the promise of rest is a picture of what God is offering each of us. Now, how do we find it? Well, it begins, first of all, with recognizing our need for it. In verse one, my daughter, I must find a rest for you where you will be well provided for. This basic need is one that we all share, and in Australia, we now feel it acutely. Loneliness in Australia is, of course, on the rise, well-documented and on the rise across all sectors, but particularly amongst young people, 18 to 24, and amongst older men, bereaved and divorced. They're the most lonely sectors of our society. Social media, ironically, makes for fewer close friends than before 2012 when smartphones became common. Add to that rising house prices, making the dream of owning your own home almost unreachable for many, and add to that, rentals are becoming unaffordable and fewer people are getting married than ever before. You put all of that together, Ruth and Naomi's felt need is one that is real and it's shared by many people in Australia. Naomi comes up with a plan and it has a target. Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours, it has a time. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. It requires initiative. So wash, put on perfume, put on your best clothes. Make yourself attractive. Go down to the threshing floor. Oh my goodness. Now, threshing floors were places where pagan prostitutes would come looking for business. Hosea chapter nine, verse one. Ruth, uh, Naomi says, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking and when he lies down, note the place where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. This is a very bold plan. Risky and risque. Especially for Ruth, who's a Moabitess. Moabites were viewed as sexually questionable. I mean, they were descended from the incestuous union between Lot and his daughter in Genesis 19. And then, of course, in Israel's history, the Moabite women had seduced 
Israelite men before leading uh, with an attempt to corrupt them and lead them to pagan idolatry, Numbers 25. Ruth's actions, therefore, her being a Moabitess, could easily be misinterpreted by any of the men there. She could easily be taken advantage of. It was very risky. And yet Naomi tells Ruth, go down to the threshing floor. Boaz will tell you what to do. I mean, what is she thinking is going to happen? It's very hard on the face of it to understand that as anything but an invitation for love. Against this, we have the character of Boaz, who we know from last week, he's godly, he's upright, and we also know the character of Ruth from chapter one and chapter two. She is also godly and an upright woman, which makes, therefore, the plan a request for something more than love. It is a request for marriage. That's the plan. And Ruth goes through with it. She takes the initiative. And in the way it's told, we can see it happening. It's told in a slowed down state. There's lots of verbs. You can see it before you. We can see the target. There's Boaz. He's finished eating and drinking. He's happy. Here's Ruth. She's standing in the dark watching. But look, there Boaz is going and lying at the end of the grain pile. At the end of the grain pile. Between Boaz at the end and Ruth, there are lots of men also lying down asleep. If Ruth was discovered, they may take advantage of her. But Boaz has told them not to, right? But how would they know it was Ruth in the dark? It's risky. But Ruth takes the initiative. She approaches Boaz quietly. She gets there. She uncovers his feet. That's an essential part of the plan. Boaz needs to wake up in the middle of the night. She lies down and she waits until the moment comes. In the middle of the night, Boaz wakes. He turns. There's a woman at his feet. He's startled, right? We're told he's startled. Now, if he cries out when he's startled, everything is lost. The plan's blown. Ruth's reputation is in tatters. Almost certainly there'd be no wedding. What does that mean for us? No great-grandchild David and no greater son of David, Jesus. It all turns on Boaz's reaction when he startles. Is he going to make a noise or not? What will he do? Well, given the attention, of course, he's given Ruth the day before, chapter two, you heard about that last week, given the esteem that he's held her in, if Boaz had gone to sleep thinking of any woman, it would have been of her. If he'd have dreamt of a woman, it would have been of her. Now he wakes. There's a woman there at his feet. There's no way it could be her, the woman of his, his, his dreams. There's no way, right? Who are you? He whispers. And then the answer comes, and it's too good to be true. A whispered revelation he could scarcely have dreamed would come real. I am your servant, Ruth. It's her. And then she whispers, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. Now this is not an invitation to some sort of tawdry coupling in the dark. It is so much more. This is an invitation to marriage because Boaz is one of Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemers. Now Duncan referred to this last week a role unpacked in Leviticus chapter 25, a role designed by God to make provision for women 
Israelite women left desolate when her husband died. Ruth's a Moabitess, but she comes under the law because of her relationship with Naomi. In the Old Testament law, if a woman's husband died, it was up to a close relative, a goel, Hebrew word, a kinsman redeemer, it's translated here guardian redeemer, but he's a relative, kinsman's probably better, a kinsman redeemer to marry her, to have children by her, to continue the name of the deceased husband to provide for the widow and her children. Boaz was one such relative to Ruth. And by Ruth saying, spread the corner of your garment over me, it was an invitation for Boaz to be that person for her. Now to Boaz, an older man, this was astounding kindness. The Lord bless you, my daughter. There is an age disparity. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and you could have. Ruth, of course, had already impressed Boaz by her kindness that she had shown in pledging herself so faithfully to Naomi instead of returning to her own people. This chesed kindness was the kindness that we see in God. It's one of his characteristics. But now, of course, it's not just Naomi who's benefited from Ruth's kindness. Boaz has now as well. And it's beautiful, isn't it? Ruth comes under the protection of Boaz's chesed kindness towards her. Boaz is himself the recipient of Ruth's chesed kindness to him. Both receive from each other the Lord's chesed kindness to them both through each other. But I'm getting ahead. Ruth is the vulnerable one here. She's come in a risky gesture and Boaz has neither misinterpreted it, he knows what she's asking for, and neither has he taken advantage of her. By telling her not to be afraid, he has laid her fears at rest. And then he says, I will do for you all you ask. Now, what he's just done, he's, he's given her the word of promise that she has been waiting for, the promise of rest, a promise of a home, the promise of him, the promise of care, the promise of security, a promise of provision, perhaps a promise of offspring and a future. Boaz is so determined that there remains only one thing that could get in the way. There is another relative closer to Naomi than Boaz and he has legal rights to become Naomi and Ruth's kinsman redeemer ahead of Boaz, should he want to. He has first dibs. Until that matter is settled, things are still up in the air. But from Boaz's point of view, there's no uncertainty about what he wants. And so to assure Ruth, and as a sign of his promise to her, Boaz pours six measures of barley into her shawl. Now, a shawl. What does a young woman normally carry in her shawl? A baby, a baby. In putting six measures of barley in her shawl for her to take home, this is a sign, shall we say, pregnant with meaning. It's a sign of good things to come. And with that, a great reversal of fortunes is signal. When Naomi came back to Bethlehem at the end of Ruth 1, she came back empty in her mind. 
But Boaz's explicit Ruth's, uh, words to Ruth was that she must not go back empty-handed. And he makes sure that she doesn't. And that makes all the difference. When Ruth returns and finds out how things went, no longer is Naomi the depressed woman of Ruth chapter one. No longer is Naomi bitter with life. No longer is Naomi fixated on only that which has been taken from her. No longer is Naomi unable to see the Lord's chesed kindness um, that he's been showing her in Ruth. Instead, she's a different lady. She is now energized. The plan she has enacted has yielded results and Naomi can barely sit still with excitement to see how the story will unfold. What a wonderful story. The story of Ruth and Naomi looking for and finding, if not rest itself, at least the promise of rest. It's enough to keep them going. Good news for Ruth, good news for Naomi. What is God saying to us? Well, I want you to remember that Ruth's story is our story too. To take a peek into next week, chapter four, we discover Ruth and Naomi have a baby boy who himself would be the grandfather to King David. From David, we get the son of David, Jesus, the Christ, the savior of all who believe. Jesus is the one who connects us to this story and makes Ruth's story part of our own. What is God telling us? Well, remember that this story of Ruth is a micro picture of our own because the Lord is the same Lord. Yes, we're at a different point in salvation history to Ruth. Ruth lived in the time of judges when there was no king. We live under the reign of Jesus, the king of kings. But the Lord is the same even though we're at a different time. And he's just as much at work in the circumstances and details of our lives as he was with Ruth. So what does Ruth's story here tell us about how we might find rest in all its fullness? Well, I wanna suggest that it tells us at least two things, just two. The first is the importance of taking initiative. It's a particular important word to us, I think, at this time as we come out of COVID. COVID, with all its interruptions to our holiday plans, its interruptions to our lives with its lockdowns and closed businesses, COVID has fostered a great degree of learned helplessness and passivity, I think. Almost as if there's no point now in taking initiative a sort of a depression that had its effect on Naomi. Ruth and Naomi's situation, of course, they didn't, they didn't live in a time of COVID, but it was scarcely different. They had famine. They had death to contend with. Added to that, they knew that God was behind what had happened. Now, knowing that there is an all-powerful God up there determining what's happened can lead, amongst believing people, to a sort of dispirited fatalism. No use praying, no use making plans, no use doing anything because God will override it anyway. It's been pretty bleak. What stands out in this chapter speaks to us. What stands out is them taking initiative. Naomi seizes the moment. She makes a plan and then Ruth puts it into effect. It's almost like they're forcing their way into the realm of God's blessings, like the prostitutes and tax collectors of Jesus' day. What they don't do is succumb to despair or nihilism. 
knowing that God is sovereign could lead to that if you thought God was mean or a God of indifference. But he isn't. God is a God of the sort of chesed kindness which we find right throughout this chapter. And although God isn't obviously referenced in, the cause, in causing the events of this story, we glimpse it, his activity and how things play out. The fact that Boaz didn't shout or cry out when he was startled. The provision in God's law of a kinsman redeemer to care for people exactly in Ruth and Naomi's situation. He'd already shown his kindness. In his placing of Ruth in Boaz's field, the relative of hers, the man with such great character to hers, without her knowing any of that. In Ruth and Boaz, both displaying towards each other God's chesed characters, characteristics, reflecting God's kindness in the way they knew because they themselves had experienced this from God. In other words, we know that the Lord is the one who's in charge and we know what his character is like. God is a God of chesed kindness and that's enough to lift us out of despair into hope and into action. It's enough to make you make plans. It's enough to make you take initiative. And that is something we need to do. In the end, although God does everything for us, provides the way, calls us to him. We ourselves do have to respond. We have to decide to come to him and we have to do it. The prodigal son had to come back to his father even though his father was looking every day for him to come back. He had to come to his senses and come back himself. Jesus Revelation 3, stands at the door and knocks, but we need to come to him and open the door and let him in. Only then can we eat with him and he with us. So we need to learn from the initiative taken by Naomi and Ruth, and we need to follow it. But the second thing to learn is that rest ultimately is a gift, a gift which we need to wait to receive. Ruth could take the initiative, she could go and uncover Boaz's cloak, but then she had to wait to receive from Boaz the promise of rest. She couldn't force it. Neither could the prostitutes or tax collectors in Jesus' day. They may have looked like they were forcing their way into the kingdom, but it all came down to God's decision to provide a way through a redeemer, Jesus. It required God himself in his son to go to the cross to prepare a place for them that he could take them to. So it seems in Ruth chapter three there are two important lessons. Number one, taking initiative. Number two, realizing that rest is a gift we cannot force. Now in applying the message of Ruth three to us, I think there's no better place that we can go to than to hear Jesus' words as he draws those two aspects together. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Jesus' words have both parts, the need for us to take initiative, come to him, but also the second, and then I will give you rest. Notice who he's calling. It's all who are weary and burdened. 
Is that you? Is that you? Are you weary? Are you weary in your soul? I think a lot of us are weary. Or maybe you're burdened as well. Some of us I know are very burdened. And what a great pastor is the Lord Jesus Christ. In those words he shows, he knows the load we carry. He knows how wearying it is for us. He knows the burden. Notice he doesn't specify the nature of the burden. It's not talking about one burden over another. Some of us have a burden of mental illness. We're concerned about our mental health. That's a burden. Some of us have extreme physical health concerns. What a burden to carry. Some of us have massive family issues going on. Going home is a wearying burden. Some of us have employment worries. We're worried about the future. We're worried about the present. Some of us have sin that we're grappling with. We've seemed stuck in it. Then there's the fear that some of us have of starting school. Most of them are probably outside, but you know, maybe. There's the fear of being alone and unprovided for. These things can create weariness and heaviness. And Jesus calls everyone who is weary and burdened to come to him. But guess what? We need to do it. We need to take the initiative. We need to come to him. And maybe this is what God's saying to you, that instead of being passive, instead of doing nothing, instead of giving way to, his, to despair, that instead of that, you need to come to him. Some of us might say, yeah, but I've been taking the initiative. I've been making plans, but maybe the crucial ingredient is that you haven't been coming to him. You've been doing it by yourself. Sometimes, you know, God's sovereignty causes the opposite of inactivity. Sometimes we can fight against God being sovereign like God's against us. We have to be God ourselves, and then we forget to pray. But you know, when you know that God's there and you know that his nature is kindness towards you in the end, not, he's not malevolent, that encourages the right sort of initiative, initiative taken because you're relying on God to work as you take a step forward. Notice that when Jesus says, when you do come to me, I will give you rest. There's both parts, isn't there? There's command to take a step, take initiative, and there's the promise that when we do so, Jesus will gift us what we have been striving for. He will give us rest. In 2014, Narelle and I had the chance to take the family, for the first time ever, uh, overseas to Europe. Wow, imagine that. We had long service leave, and we worked out in the timetable, future projections of our family's life and studies and everything, we had a window, a moment, one moment, when we could all go together. And I'd been running hard by that stage for years as a pastor in church work, which is privilege, but I'll tell you what, you know, and then leading up to 10 weeks away, the exhaustion of working double time to getting everything prepared while I was away Wow, I went away really tired. <laughs> um, and after two weeks of 
good time sightseeing in England, there was enough distance in time and experience for me to stop and get perspective and begin to stop and slow down. Then we went to Paris and we found there an English-speaking evangelical Anglican church. There's only one there. And we've, we went there, and, and it, they served wine and cheese beforehand. I thought, how French, what a great idea. Um, and, but I remember the sermon that day, not just the wine or the cheese. The minister didn't preach. It was one of the elders, a lay person, who preached. And he preached on one verse. He preached on Matthew 11, verse 28. And he called us to listen to Jesus' words. And as he was speaking, this lay person in this church, I realized God was speaking to me. Because I was a pastor of years of experience, but I was weary and I was burdened. I was in a great church, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the church, great people. But I guess the demands had been so constant for so long that as Jesus diagnosed, I was weary and I was burdened. And it was God's kindness to me that he took me out of that situation, put me on the other side of the planet, and then on the one time I went to church in France, to an English-speaking service, that was the passage that he organized for me, and for others, but for me. And I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. And so I did, I came to him. And it was great, it was great to lay the burden of what I had been carrying at his feet and the weight lifted. The old hymn writers do put it so well, don't they? I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Well, Jesus is still calling us to come to him. And we're going to take a moment now to do just that, to come to him, all you who are weary and burdened, and lay that burden at his feet for him to give you rest. I'll just give you a moment. How kind you are, Heavenly Father. How kind you are in giving us a pastor of, in Jesus who himself knew the weariness and the burden 
of living this life. Our Father, with whatever weight we're carrying, with whatever weariness we feel, thank you that Jesus is our Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer. And we come to him now and lay that burden at his feet. And we take hold of your promise that you will give us rest. Thank you that Jesus went and prepared a place for us and he will come back and take us to be with him. To eat with him and he with us. Please be at work also in the details of our lives and travel with us and bring answers we call upon you in the name of Jesus. Amen.